Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. The one and only V, the Gorilla Time, is coming to you live on this edition of Hanging Hang with Harley. We have Harley with us today, folks. And you can find Harley over at La, the LaRoucheOrganization.com, LaRoucheOrganization.com, as well as the SchillerInstitute.com, SchillerInstitute.com. Folks, if you've missed last week's uh, institutional conference they had on April 15th and 16th, just go to the Schiller Institute and click the watch here. You can see it. And you'll be able to see the entire conference. It's really amazing. Lots of things happening globally right now. So we're glad that Harley's here. And before we went live, Harley said something that's very, very true. And that is, things are happening. And it's fast. And it's furious. Harley, welcome back. How are you? Hi, V. Good to be with you. It's always a pleasure to have you on, Harley. Where would you like to begin? Well, there are a couple of things that, that we should talk about, including the economy and the uh, Ukraine situation. Uh, and I have some new information on what's being proposed by NATO at a point where they don't really have an army in Ukraine to do much with. But I want to start with something that just came out from the congressional hearings on the Hunter Biden case. And for the most part, you know, this is being treated in the media as ho-hum. Uh, there's not nothing there. Uh, Biden got a pass. But what came out just in the last hour was the testimony that former acting director, CIA director Mike Morrell gave uh, to the House Judiciary Committee, where he said that he received a phone call from a top Biden campaign advisor named Anthony Blinken, mm. who had told him that he believed that the whole Hunter Biden story was possibly Russian disinformation. And then he sent him a USA Today article that said precisely that. And Morell testified that this triggered in him the idea that there probably should be some intervention to expose this as part of a disinformation campaign. Now, we know that the so-called 51 former intelligence agents who signed on to this letter uh, did so just because they hated Trump and were part of the whole Russiagate operation. And there's not a whole lot that's new in this story, except for one thing. It makes it clear that there never was Russian intervention in the U.S. elections. It was Democratic Party. It was Biden and a collaboration between the Obama-Biden networks with the intelligence community. That's who's interfering in U.S. elections. And I think this makes the point very clear that that's the case. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, the, the, all of this is coming to uh, to account, and I think more and more people in the public spectrum are starting to understand this, Harley. Well, it's it's hard to miss. I mean, but it, when you have someone like Jeff Girth, who's a longtime New York Times correspondent, writing a 24,000-word article for the Columbia Journalism Review, which is considered the, the gold standard for journalism publications. And he went through in, in something called the press versus the president, that it was a combination of the mainstream media, the intelligence community, and the Democratic Party that cooked up the story on Russiagate and passed it back and forth, treating each other as serious sources. And then we see these same media who are exposed in this, taking the Seymour Hersh story and saying, well, Hersh, who can trust his sources? Jesus. Well, Hersh's sources have proven to be accurate for the last 50 years, yeah. whereas virtually all the sources quoted by, by the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, uh, The Guardian, and so on, have proven to be liars and disinformation experts. Sure. So... You know, it's not surprising that people are beginning to see through it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, 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 I think the regime is really exposed and, and naked right now. The entire globalists are, you know, millions of people are are awoken to this globally. And I think uh, it's almost as if the, they, they keep doing the same thing, the, the, these globalists, these government officials, right? It's almost as if they don't even care anymore. They're just so blatant about it, Harley. Well, they're arrogant and brazen. Yes. But I talked to someone from the Democrats abroad and, and, and who lives in Germany today. Mm -hmm. And she was completely uh, destabilized. She just said, I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, Biden is terrible. I'm scared about Bobby Kennedy Jr. I'm scared about Trump. I'm scared about Harris. Oh I'm God. scared about the voters. I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, it's simple change policies. Mm -hmm. You're pushing policies in conjunction with the Republican Party and the Congress that are hurting the American people. Don't be surprised if they come back and bite you. Now, let me go into this quickly, this thing on Ukraine, because it's, it's really interesting. We've talked before about the role of the Atlantic Council, which was set up in 1961 as a bridge between Europe and the United States uh, sort of a, a CFR meets Chatham House type think tank funded by the British Foreign Office, the U.S. State Department, and all the corporate cartels. Now, they've been totally out front on the Ukraine war that this must continue, it must escalate, Russia must be destroyed. And now they've just produced something called Memo to NATO Leaders for the next NATO summit, which is in Vilnius, Lithuania on July 11th and July 12th. Now, the two authors for it give it away. One is Ian Brzezinski, the son oh, of... Oh, there you go. And the other is Alexander Vershbow, who is a former ambassador to Russia, former uh, deputy secretary general of NATO, and he's also an Atlantic Council fellow. And what they write is that this summit must deliver something real, not just talk. Because what's at stake is Ukraine's sovereignty and independence. Well, those were lost in 2014. Right. Uh, and not because of Russia, but because of uh, Victoria Newland in the United States. Uh, 
Secondly, the international order's endurance is at stake. Can we sustain a campaign against Russia? Uh, nuclear coercion's effectiveness is at stake. And it's unclear whether they're talking about Russia's coercive use of nuclear weapons or the U.S. And then the last point is Russia's evolution as a democratic, as a part of the evolution inside the democratic and international order. And they, they quote none other than Zbigniew Brzezinski on this, saying that Russia cannot be in, in expected to be peaceful until the Russian empire is broken up. That's the strategy. And then the final point they make is NATO's credibility is at stake. So what do they propose? Fortifying the eastern flank, which means American troops and weapons on the eastern or the western border of Russia. Fully endorse Ukraine's war aims, including taking back Crimea. Uh, significantly expand economic sanctions on Russia. I'm not sure there's anything left to sanction. Jeez, these people are idiots, man. Well, and then listen to this. Increase NATO members' ability to produce weapons. Well, they're going to need to reindustrialize, but their policies are the opposite. And then finally, move toward Ukrainian NATO membership. They left out one point, which is that if they do these things, the last point is crawl into a bunker and kiss your ass goodbye. Correct. Because this is a policy for permanent war. And if they get to the point where Russia's sovereignty and security is threatened, that's when we come to the brink and possibly over the red line into nuclear war. Yes. So this is being pushed by the Atlantic Council as the best advice to the NATO leadership. Now, uh, the, the NATO leaders should take a look at what's happening in Germany the last few days. Four major airports have been shut down uh, yesterday and today because of striking workers. Mm. The uh, national rail system was shut down today. Uh, and the reason it's shut down is they're demanding more money. And the sub-theme is stop funding the war in Ukraine and fund your workers. The energy sector is about to have a walkout in Germany. And the leading gas company just put out a report saying that Germany will be out of natural gas by January of 2024 unless there's a, they can find new buyers, a new way to bring it in, and unless people are willing to keep their heat down so much that they'll freeze this winter. Jesus. Then you have in France, Macron, someone convinced Macron <laughs> that it's now the time to go out and, and meet the people and, and show your doubters that the people still support you. So he did a walking tour in a fairly wealthy suburb of Paris and people ganged up on him. There were crowds booing him and, and arguing with him and his security had to whisk him away. <laughs> Then, oh, just to go back to Germany, the latest poll that came out showed that the coalition government of the Social Democrats of Schultz, the Greens of Baerbach and Habeck, and the Free Democratic Party are at 42%. So there's supposed to be a majority coalition government. They're at 42% in the polls. And the reasons people are opposing them, opposition to the war, the austerity policies, and the energy program. So we're, we're seeing a rebellion, turmoil in the Western world, and we're seeing the International Monetary Fund, on the contrary, reporting that there's growth in Asia and Africa. So you, know, you look at this and you see why de-dollarization is happening. You see why 
the, the media is so desperate to censor any alternative voice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and then today, to top it all off, you have uh, the Rammstein Ukraine contact group, oh, where God. they're going to be demanding, getting a, a video visit from Volodymyr Zelensky, <laughs> telling them why they're, they're, they're too cheap and you know, they have to give more money and more weapons to Ukraine or their lives themselves will be meaningless. <laughs> oh, my God. It never ceases to surprise me, Harley. Well, you know, you, you look at this and you wonder which sitcom writers are writing the script for Blinken and, and Sullivan and Newland <laughs> and you know, for Biden's uh, for Biden. I, I, I think it, it could have been the sitcom for Everybody Loves Raymond, but it's going to be Everybody <laughs> Loves Zelensky. <laughs> well, someone was joking the other day that if Zelensky really needs some money, he should pawn the Oscar that Sean Penn gave him. Exactly. That, that, he should give some, uh, that should produce some really good re uh, returns on investment there. <laughs> yeah. Now, so you look at these things and, and you know, you ask yourself, does, do these guys know the contempt they're held in by most of the rest of the world? And here's the point I would make. Again, I've been doing a lot of interviews recently with uh, television stations and radio stations and bloggers in the so-called global south, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Nigeria, South Africa, Pakistan, Iran. And what you find is they're just befuddled. How could the United States, which was such a great nation, have such idiots running the country? What's wrong with the American people? Why are they not out in the streets the way the French are? You know, the, the French mobs attacked the headquarters of BlackRock two weeks ago, yeah. showing really good sense. Mm -hmm. you, you know, in the United States, uh, the Biden administration and the Republicans are totally invested in BlackRock. Yes. So... People keep asking me, what's wrong with your countrymen? What's wrong with them? And as we talk, I say to them, look, you would like to see the United States switch sides and join you, wouldn't you? And they all say, yes, of course. And, and I think there was a very uh, interesting comment from Bobby Kennedy Jr. when he announced his campaign a couple of days ago, where he was saying, you know, people are asking, why is China popular in the global south and the United States not? When we go into a country, we bomb its roads, its airports, its power plants, yes. uh, and, and its rail systems. When the Chinese go in, they build them. That's why they're turning to China. And so I, I think that's, that's something people in the United States should know. It's not that they hate us. They hate what we've done to them. Correct. And they wish we were back as the America of the American Revolution the America of Lincoln, of FDR, of John F. Kennedy, even the America of Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I see on the screen a very important development from two days ago. Marcy Kaptur, a Democratic congresswoman from Ohio, mm -hmm. introduced a Glass-Steagall bill, Return to Prudent Banking Act. Oh, really? Yeah. And this is now uh, before the U.S. Congress. It's something which would actually create the basis for ending the bailouts of the speculators 
and separating the investment banks from the commercial banks so commercial banks could do their real business, which is take deposits from their clients and use that money to fund investment into the real economy, as opposed to letting that money flow into the financial instruments that are completely worthless. So uh, CAPTOR introduced it. Uh, we're hoping that we'll get some co-signers uh, in the next couple of days. We're trying to remind Donald Trump that he endorsed Glass-Steagall in October of 2016. There's a Glass-Steagall bill that's now in front of the Swiss parliament uh, because you know Switzerland is, is basically the government is in hock completely to bailing out Credit Suisse. Oh, yeah. There's one major bank now in Switzerland, UBS, and it's because it's taking over uh, Credit Suisse, the government has to bail it out and bail it out for hundreds of billions. Uh, the German government's looking at something similar with Deutsche Bank. So Glass-Steagall is not only a way out for the United States, but this a global Glass-Steagall push would be a way for the United States to get back into good graces with the countries we've been looting for the last 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. Now, China has a kind of Glass-Steagall. Uh, it, it's not the same legal structure, but what they do is if, if people in commercial banks start speculating with their depositors' money, they go to jail uh, instead of getting bailed out. Yes, yes, exactly. Over and here, and I always use the example, if you want to gamble, go to the racetrack or Las Vegas, <laughs> but don't expect to get bailed out. Exactly. Exactly. Over here, they get not only bailed out, but they get rewarded. You get bonuses. You get a golden parachute. It's wonderful. You know, you, they get cover cover stories on Forbes. Absolutely. How, how, how genius they are and how, you know, how effective they were in running a company to the ground, Harley. And if only the Congress understood this, and of course... The Congress understands it because these are the guys who pay the money to the, for the campaigns. You know, both parties are deeply in debt yes. to the financial and insurance and real estate cartels. Correct. And, you know, when someone asked me the other day, this seems like a no-brainer. Why won't Congress pass that? I said, look who funds them. Mm. Look how viciously the American Bankers Association fought Eight years ago, when we had a uh, the National Caucus of State Legislatures had a resolution to support Glass-Steagall, and the president of the American Banking Association went to their conference and told them, your states will be cut off for funds if you support this measure. So this is not only big business, it's cutthroat, and the bankers have that they fought for 40 years to get rid of Glass-Steagall, starting with the Volcker policy under Jimmy Carter, the controlled disintegration strategy of the Trilateral Commission, which then became, uh, George Bush became the head of the Blue Ribbon Panel on deregulation. Uh, under Clinton, you had the final repeal of Glass-Steagall. And th since then, we've been on a roller coaster of the casino economy, including... Clinton himself, and people probably forget this, but Clinton was bragging about the great recovery from the dot-coms, and as he was on his way out the door, they blew out. The whole dot-com sector was a complete crash in 2000, 2001, and when Bush came in, that's what he was facing. And what did he do? 
He gave the keys to the Federal Reserve to, to the uh, universal banks, the too-big-to-fail banks, and they ran up a huge debt. And then when that blew up, they got bailed out, and the homeowners got kicked out on the street. Yeah, absolutely. Harley, anything else that is on your radar? Well, let's see. I There are always more things that you forget. Um, Oh, I, just the, the G7 foreign ministers meeting that just took place in Japan. Yeah. Blinken, in his speech, talked about the wonders of our common cause, our great uh, joint mission to defend democracy, uh, the importance of remaining unified for a Ukrainian victory, and how we have to confront the tyrannies and authoritarians such as Russia and China. Now, in a press conference... He was asked by a Japanese reporter, and it was translated into English, but he pretended he didn't understand the question. Uh, does, is he aware when he talks about our great common cause that governments here have been that are listening to this have been spied on by his government, as revealed in these recent Pentagon papers? And Blinken pretended he couldn't understand the translation. Uh, but that's the kind of world we live in, where some reporters, some governments are now speaking the truth. And it, it leaves Blinken stammering. It leaves, I mean, Biden doesn't get the question. Uh, it probably enrages people like Newland to the point that they're planning on which country should be bombed next. Yeah, exactly. These people are insane. Well, actually, there's one other thing on this. Sure. For people who say these guys either planned this entirely well, if they planned it, they didn't expect this kind of reaction against it or that, that they don't know that they really don't know what's going on. Well, Janet Yellen, in a couple of interviews recently, admitted that U.S. sanctions are the un cause of the undermining of the U.S. dollar. Yep. And Larry Summers, while defending U.S. policy, and of course, he's the so-called genius who is uh, behind the whole Clinton recovery and crash, uh, or also the Obama policy. But Larry Summers said, it's lonely being on the right side of history. <laughs> what an and idiot. then Christine Lagarde, the, the head of the European Central Bank, warned of the fragmentation and breakdown of order caused by, in part by financial sanctions of the last decades. And then she said, but these sanctions are necessary. And she said, and we must continue with our policy of decoupling from Russia and China. Yeah. Un unbelievable. Which would mean the, the end of the loss of life that would occur from decoupling from China. People don't even realize that, Harley. The loss of life that would occur. I mean, there, there are vital, important minerals, strategic metals, and components that we need for functioning, everything from medicine to energy to computer chips to food delivery that would completely come to a grinding halt with no alternatives if we were to ever decouple from China. This is the problem with the Westerners. Well, they are not only morons, but they are morons that forecast into a vacuum. It's incredible to see how stupid these people are. Well, the vacuum is into the minds of people like Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Jesus. So, I mean, what, what you're just to add to what you're saying, 
If we decouple from China, the shelves at Walmart will be bare. Yeah, exactly. And we'll have no place to shop. We'll have, uh, of course, we'll blame China and we'll launch a war against them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Arlie, thank you so much for being on. Again, it's always a pleasure to have you on, and we look forward to the next time. And I would urge people to go to the theschillerinstitute.com and look at the conference for last weekend. It's long. There's lots of discussion. Scott Ritter spoke. We had people from India, Japan, uh, Russia, uh, two former generals from Germany, uh, a French official. There were people from 30 countries who participated in the dialogue over two days. So you can't catch it all in one sitting. But I think what you'll find is that what, what Mrs. LaRouche said at the end of the conference is this is unique because you have people who don't agree on everything but are willing to discuss how do we get out of this situation and recognize that it's not just a question of program but philosophy. You have to have a philosophical outlook which starts from the standpoint that all human beings are sacred and that human beings possess the creative capacity to solve problems. And as Lyndon LaRouche once said, is that he, he knows that in his wisdom, God gave us the capacity to solve the problems that we create. Exactly. Very well said. Harley Schlanger, the man, the myth, the legend himself. You can find him over at LaRoucheOrganization.com, the LaRoucheOrganization.com as well as the SchillerInstitute.com, SchillerInstitute.com. And with that being said, folks, thank you all for listening in. Subscribe, like, comment, and share. And most of all, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you all for listening.